Blog Talk Radio. All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, black power. It's your brother, Yang and Krumah, Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party, man, coming to you again another Monday. It's always good to be able to address the peoples to come and have a rap session with them. Again, this is Independence Black Talk Radio, and you know how we do, brothers and sisters. This is your radio station. It's an opportunity for you to chime in, to ask questions, comments, opinions, and to share with us. I'm one who believes in a black collective, in African communalism. And I know that, uh, like the old adage says, more heads are better than one. So I'm always open for our brothers and sisters to chime in. Uh, Tonight's program, we're going to be talking about, man, the topic of tonight's program is community programs are community projects. And what's the difference? And why this was important, my, this was a statement or um, something that my chief of staff, the national chief of staff, had come up with. And sending out his email, he had talked about community programs and community projects, what made us different as a revolutionary black nationalist party, a progressive black party, was the fact that we are about implementing community programs for the advancement, liberation, empowerment of African people and how that people were doing projects, were having community projects or social projects, projects in society, and mislabeling them. And I don't think that it's intentional, but I just think it comes from not really understanding. And one of the things that I can say about our chief of staff is the brother, when it comes to um, the the, uh, technicalities of things, you know, putting things in their proper order and really understanding how they work and the mechanisms of the, the inner workings of these things, man, the brother is, has to be one of the best that I have run across. And I've been in this thing for a moment. And so this brother just has, this is his knack. That's his thing. And so he was explaining that a program is something that has longevity. It's something that's continuous. It's something that understands that its goals and its objectives won't be obtained in the first few moments of it, of its inception, of it being brought to fruition, of beginning it, and that it's long-term, and that a project is just that. It is a project. It's something that you start and you finish a lot of times, or the end game of it is immediate. And we find this happening, and we find our brothers and sisters um, having these feeding Projects. I'm going to start calling them projects, having feeding projects and labeling them programs. And then it's feeding projects, and they're good. And, it, and like I said, you've heard me say before many times about it, they are very noble and necessary. They are very noble and necessary. But we can't be disillusioned about their effectiveness. Because when we're disillusioned about their effectiveness, then we really never make the proper assessment. You understand? We never really fully look at how effective it is because we're mislabeling it as a program. Whereas in our programs, our programs are designed to um, our programs are designed to I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. Our programs are designed to, um, our programs anyway are designed for self-determination. Our programs are for the long longevity 
of us getting together, of us doing our own doing our own thing. And y'all have to pardon me because, like you know me, I it is almost impossible. Uh, it is impossible for me to multitask, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do at this particular moment. But it's designed uh, for our longevity and for us to be a self-sufficient, for a self-sufficient people, you see. But we understand that it's not going to have an immediate end to, you know, that it's not going to have, it's not going to have them, it's not going to have an immediate end that we're not mistaken about what we're trying to accomplish. That we're not mistaken about what we're trying to accomplish. We understand that um, just going out and doing these projects, like I said, I call them social band-aids, that they do serve their their point, you know, that they do address immediate issues. But it's the long-term goal. We understand that this is why the – what we call the third development panthers were very effective in what they were trying to accomplish because the programs lent to showing them, showing us as African people, our self-determination. It showed us that um, us directly, and it wasn't about impressing. I think that this is, this is one of the major things for me when we talk about programs. You know, this is one of the things, the major things to me when we talk about programs is that one of the things we see from the third development Panthers, one of the things that we, one of the things that we see from the third development Panthers is that they weren't worried about impressing the people. Their thing was they weren't worried about flaunting the sensationalism. I think that they had a healthy grasp of propaganda. When we look at the works of Emory Douglas and a lot of the, and the picture that um, they say Elders Cleveland encouraged our dear brother Huey P. Newton to take, we see the propaganda and we see that being right and exact, but it wasn't a sensationalist thing with them. They weren't out there really trying to um, uh, win the hearts and the minds of the people purely through propaganda that they have programs to back these things up. And when they had these programs, the programs begin to not only address the social needs of the people there directly, like the feeding program, the Seniors Against Fearful Environment, the Shoe Refabrication Program, but it began to work on the people in a psychological manner. It began to affect the people in such a way that the people begin to understand the true meaning of the slogan, all powers to the people that power resided and rested in their hands because they began to do for self. The feeding programs, the foodstuffs that the parents distributed and fed the children with, and not just the children but the community with, came from that very community. They started to understand the power of collectivism, and this is the importance of a programming. You see, programming works on all fronts, and this is – the different fronts and the different aspects and facets of the program. You understand that not only what is what they feeding the and addressing the nutrients needs of the people through the programs, they made sure that the babies and the children had the proper nutrients that they were eating when they went to school. That they weren't um, going on empty bellies. You see, 
that they weren't going on at, at, at empty bellies, but that uh, they would have enough to have this energy and his nutrients to carry them through the day. And also it showed the community that was one facet, one aspect, that we were taking care of the, the hungry children. But it also showed the community the power of collectivism, the power of communalism, the power of working together. And this is how programs work, where projects are good for team building. They're, they're wonderful for team building. I love, you know, and that's not to say that we at the People's Black Panther Party don't participate, don't have our projects that we do. And like I said, they're good for team building, gets everyone together, and this is our goal, and this is our objective. We motivate one another, and we, we, we jump out and we do this thing. So it's excellent for that. But we can't mistake it. One of the things we have to be careful not to do is mistaking the two. We can't mistake, like I said before, when you mistake the two, when you mistake a project for a program, then your assessment of the effectiveness of such a thing is thrown. It's impossible to get an accurate reading. So this is why that's important to know the difference. And to know the difference is to educate the community because when the community knows the difference, they can effectively start to adjust and start to see how things fit in their life. You see, if they think that this is a program, if we start mistake, mistaking our projects for programs, then the masses of people whom we're here to serve don't know how to gauge the effectiveness of what's going on with them, or they don't know how to gauge the momentum of our movement our revolutionary organizations. Let me tell you, if I, some of the projects that I see, if I were to believe that they were programs, I would gauge our movement in the toilet. We feed, I, if, if what we are labeling programs, if I really believe that they were programs, I would gauge our movement at a, almost a stop. Then again, I'm not here to knock the projects. I think that they're necessary. You've heard me say that. They're very necessary. But feeding 30 or 40 people once a month, can it really be, can we really say and put that and label that as a feeding program? And if we do label that, if that is our feeding program, then my word of advice in all sincerity and revolutionary love would be to step your game up on the feeding program because it's much more needed than that. And then after the the feeding program, what is your uh, objectives? Like I said, when we go back to look at a program, we look at a program is developed and built on many facets. The third, development, the third development program of feeding the people not only addressed the issues and the needs of hunger or addressed the lack of nutrients in our communities before we went to school and things of that nature, before free breakfast or free lunch, to alleviate the worry and the concern about how these babies and these families would eat. It didn't only, it didn't only serve that purpose. So that's two purposes, you know, to feed the hungry 
to ensure proper nutrition and to alleviate the worry about what uh, the people were going to eat, how the people were going to sustain themselves. But it also served as to show as a self-determinist mechanism to show the people that collectively we could sustain ourselves. That the things that were donated came from the community. So it showed that we had the resources, the wherewithal, right there in our community. That we didn't have to look for outside support or outside help. That we as a people could be self-sufficient if we begin to judge and to look at, look at things from a people with power from a uh, from an objective standpoint, not a subjective standpoint, as a people with everything that we need for our own advancement, everything that we need for our own upliftment, that we were worthy, that we worthy, and that together we became as mighty as any uh, any other ethnicity, any other group of people, because this is all that any other group of people practices. Is this form of nationalism. And believe me, you let me tell you that they have their programs. They have their programs. I don't know how many of us have been fortunate enough to live in cities where other ethnicities live and thrive and grow and have developed their own communities, their own little sanctuaries. But they have these agencies. They have these, um, man, what is the word I'm looking for? They have, uh, you know, agencies, for lack of better words. They have these people that institute and implement programs to help them to adjust, especially the ones just coming over here, to adjust to this system. They inform them. They aid them. They assist them in every way, shape, form, and manner for them to get acclimated into this new system that they're in and to protect them from exploitation and oppression of this very system. They help them to budget the money. They tell them where to invest their money, how to look out. And in many instances, their programs paint you and I as African people in America in the most unfavorable light. They say, watch out for the niggers. They have programs. They have implemented Groups and that set up programs that guard their image, that make sure that their image is looked at favorably. Well, you and I don't have these programs, and we succumb to the whims and the desires of other people because we don't have a program to counter their program. Since you don't have a program, since you and I don't have a program, believe me, brothers and sisters, they have a program for us. They have a program for us. And that's what we have to understand. That we have to take this, we have to be the masters of our own destiny that we have to catch these minds, especially these young minds, and start to mold them. The need for these, that's the need for these programs, to catch these young minds and start to mold them, 
and guide them and show them your con- you always hearing me say and restate one of our, I believe it's point number seven in our 10-point platform, that we want an education, that we want an education that teaches the true nature of this decadent society. Do we think that any people will give us that? Do we think that any people will run a program that spells out the upliftment of you, the advancement of you, the unification of you, the empowerment of you? If you don't create a program of self-determination, If you don't have that program of self-determination, then the people will give you a program. And that program will be a program of subjectiveness, a program of servitude. You're already being programmed. They have programs and they have projects working simultaneously. Their programs are for the long term. Their programs are to get you not only acclimated to their system, but to get you to participate in their system with no question. And this is what you find many of us doing, blindly, walking through life, contributing, empowering their system. With what? Unaccountable spending. Just blindly walking through life. Not knowing. So this is the need for us to have programs to counter that. We have to have programs on the other point of that seven-point platform when it says that we want a true education that teaches us the nature, the true history of this decadent society. It also says in conjunction with, going along with, it says and teaches us the role of the black man and the black woman in this society. That's what our program should be aimed towards. Too many times we get these projects, they call them the program to ease our conscience. We want, we, we do the little projects, and I'm always giving the disclaimer, this is not to not. I don't want anyone going away saying, listen, Chairman Yanga knocked the feeding project. He said our feeding project wasn't a program. Don't misunderstand me. Get out of your sensitivities. A lot of you brothers are sissies. Get out of that sensitive shit and listen to what I'm saying. Any revolutionary understands the importance of constructive criticism sessions. So the criticism is constructive and not destructive. It's only aimed at giving us a, a balance a gauge to judge by so we can see how effective we are in our struggle. It's not to hurt your feelings. It is not to hurt your feelings. It's only to show you how effective we are in our struggle. You see? So when we don't have these projects, you get your projects, we do these feeding projects, and it goes to making us feel good. We get the warm, tingly feeling inside. Then it feels wonderful. We feel like we've done something. But what made the third development effective, what makes them effective, this system, this system of oppression and exploitation, what makes their programs effective is not just the material goods that they're giving, not just the tangible goods that you receive, but the philosophy and ideology behind it, back behind it. Jagger Hoover said, grit 
was the most desperate thing to the internal security of America. And a lot of us walk away thinking that grits pose a real risk and a, and a major problem to national security. This is not what J. Edgar Hoover meant when he said those things. He was talking about the ideology that was being pushed, the black nationalism in the beginning, in the inception of the, 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 the party. Whether they wanted to say they were nationalists or not, their actions were very nationalist actions. So the nationalism that was pushed and promoted, the act, the teachings of self-determination that were pushed and promoted over the feeding programs, and not only promoted, not only encouraged, not only espoused and taught about, but that were actually being done because, like I said earlier in the show, it was us, the community, that donated the foodstuffs to ensure that the program kept running so that we actually had a working model of communalism, African communalism. We actually saw how this worked. This was the genius of Defense Minister Yui, who was a very powerful tactician. This was his genius, that he actually had a working model and they couldn't have this spread through other cities, through the ghettos, wherever you found us in the majority, in large populations, they couldn't have this type of self-determination, this type of encouragement, this type of feeling of self-worth spread amongst the masses of their niggas. Because then you niggas would start getting lofty ideas, start knowing that you don't have to be dependent on any people why you niggas would start to stand up for yourself. You would even start not to demand equal rights. You would question who are they to be equal to. Then you would start talking about entertaining the notion, the very thought of independence. You see, this is what that type of thing, a proper program inspires, because a true programming of a revolutionary the true programming of a revolutionary won't abide by any type of oppression. Why they can't exist in the same place. Like you've heard the thing that no uh, solid or nothing can occupy the same space, that no two things can occupy the same space at the same time. This is the same thing with the revolutionary. The true revolutionary, oppression, the thoughts of oppression, the acts of oppression and exploitation can't occupy the heart, the mind, or the body. At the same time that revolutionary love, understanding, empowerment, and liberation occupies that body, oneself. It's impossible. It can't happen. If you find that in an individual that calls himself a revolutionary, why, by his very actions, you should be able to question that. You say that, you know, um, especially if they encourage that and indulge in that, their very actions will bear witness that they're not of this revolutionary mindset. So the proper programming goes to foster and to cultivate this type of understanding, you see. The food defeating projects that we have out there, like I said, which are very necessary, goes and it's necessary because it addresses an issue in society in one of the places that's supposed to be the richest country in the world. It, what it does do it exposes the fallacies. It exposes the hypocrisy. It exposes the weakness in capitalism. 
How can you have a place that dumps trillions of dollars yearly in wasted food from restaurants and other places and have home or uh, have hunger? How can you invite here in the neighborhoods that I live in? How can you have buildings that are boarded up, that are falling down, that are blights to the African community here in America and have a family that is homeless? How is that possible? Profit over people. The foolishness of capitalism that we so readily participate in. So this is what's good for those projects because it it, it what it does is band-aids those social ills, but it doesn't address them. You see, if your project doesn't evolve into a program that is consistent and the feeding comes with teaching, comes with showing them the fallacies of capitalism, shows them how participating, how unaccountable spending empowers this system, then it's just not a project. You're constantly perpetuating. And this is how we understand that they understand that they know this system understands the power of a program. Why do you think that after the third development, whom a lot of people call the original Panthers, Call the original Panthers. Why do you think after they begin to enact self-determinationist programs, self-help programs, the feeding program, the shoe refurb- um, uh, refurbishing shoes, seniors against a fearful environment, the the bust of prison program, the testing for sickle cell anemia, and on and on. The list goes on and on. Why do you think the government? begin to come in and implement their own programs. They put free breakfast in school. I'm going to tell on my age now. I'm at an age, I remember they used to get free lunch in the park. They used to get a little box, go to the park in the summertime. Because they knew when the schools were closed, those of us that were impoverished, those of us that came from the hood that was poor, the lumping, that's what we were, we were below the proletarian. They say the proletarian, According to Karl Marx, the proletarian is the working class. But we were the lumping proletarian. We were below the working class. We were the undesirables, if you will. So us, those of us that were impoverished and in these ghettos, they had free lunches in the park, and we would go get the boxes summertime when we couldn't get the free breakfast and free lunch in schools. Why do you think that the government enacted these programs? Why do you think, do you think all of a sudden these uh, capitalists, these kidnappers, these robbers and rapists and exploiters and savage and barbarians, these depraved individuals who built this country on some of the most, some of the worst atrocities in the history of mankind, not just America, in the history of mankind perpetrated against the people, do you all of a sudden think that they had a change of heart? Do you think this white man all of a sudden woke up and gave a damn about your little black self that he said it was unconsciousable how he was treating his Negroes? It just isn't right. You know, this is so wrong. Do you think that he was moved? Absolutely not. But he saw the effectiveness 
of the third development, the Panther Party's program. He saw the Negroes, the black folk, the colored folk, begin to stand up. He saw it begin to pull together. Not only did he see it in the action, not only did he see the Panthers waking early in the morning and making sure that the babies and those people who needed to eat had things to eat, that they prepared the food, but he saw the community coming together to start to bring the food stuff so that they could prepare the food. And then from this, you they, the um, act of self creep in. These people begin to feel good about themselves. We felt good about our community. Then when people begin to feel good about themselves and feel good about their community and good about one another, then you have womanhood and manhood that start to creep in. And those of us that are men understand when manhood creeps in because when manhood crept in, the guns crept in because then we became, that's when you look at what it meant to be black Panthers for self-defense. We would defend these institutions of betterment and advancement and empowerment for African people with our life if need be or with your life if need be. Oh, yeah, you got to bring ass to get ass. So we would defend it with our life or with your life. Somebody's blood. These institutions. This is the importance of programs. You see, but when you don't have a program, it doesn't inspire, it doesn't motivate you to move to that level of commitment and dedication. And why should it? You just got a feeding project. You don't have it, and when you have a feeding project, like I said, it acts as a social band-aid. You feed a few homeless people and you feel a little better. You go home, you may sleep good that night. You helped someone, you gave them a nice sandwich and everything like that, a nice hot bowl of soup, and it was wonderful. We commend you. We applaud you for that. But is it to the degree, do you see such a change in your society? Just starting right there immediately. I'm not even talking about throughout the whole nation just right there immediately that you say, hey, you know what, that we would defend this at all costs because it becomes an institution. An institution doesn't necessarily have to be a building. It doesn't have to be a building. An institution becomes the mindset and the actions of a people. You've seen them brothers come on from the joint that have been gone for a minute. What's the first thing to holler out? He's institutionalized. That nigga's institutionalized. He's no longer in the institution, but he's been programmed to behave in such a manner, to think in a certain way, to perceive things a certain way. He's been programmed, and we say he's been institutionalized. Well, a good program will institutionalize you. A good program establishes an institution, then that institution should be the institution of empowerment. That institution should be the institution of liberation. That institution should be the institution of self-determination and self-sufficiency. And we should become institutionalized. The revolutionary must become institutionalized to the institution of revolution. And this is the importance of our program. This is the importance of knowing the difference. You see, and until we know the difference, we will never be able to gauge properly our motion and our movement. We will never be able to gauge 
properly our motion and our movement. A program, what is else the difference between a program and a project? There I said a project is great for team building. You come together, you put your hands together, you're motivated to do something, to get some things accomplished and to get some things done, and that's wonderful. But a program takes a long-term commitment. A program takes dedication. A program takes consistency. A program takes sacrifice, not just the physical sacrifice, not just the sacrifice of your labor, but in a lot of times an economic sacrifice. This is the challenge that awaits us, this African people's revolutionary. See, we want this thing to be free. We want to get out there and do a few things that feel good to us as individuals and not understand the level of commitment that it takes. I have young children. And I stay traveled. This is not to big up me. Because I have other comrades that sacrifice just as much, if not more, than I do in time and and and, and economics and everything. But we understand what it takes because this is the slow process. The people say, Well, I don't see what the people's Black Panther Party are doing. What are you guys doing? You're always talking about programs, Chairman Yangle. What are you guys doing? I don't see what you're doing. I ask them, where are you looking? If you're looking for Facebook, if you're looking for us to be sensationalized, if you're looking for me to be somewhere chasing news cameras, then you keep looking, you will never see. But if you go in the streets where we have active membership, if you talk amongst the masses, the lumping, where we have active memberships, then you will be able to get a gauge of what we're attempting, what our actions, because we are doing through the actions, but we're never satisfied with feeding 20 or 30 people. We're giving coats to 20 or 30 people. We don't. We start out giving coats to address the immediate needs of our people. See, that's a coat. We have a project. That's a project. We give out coats. It's cold, especially in my eastern, my upper, my northeastern chapters, Jersey, New York, and all that way. It gets cold. Believe me, every time I talk to you from the radio program up there, I'm coming down with a cold. I'm a Georgia boy. Been in the south. So we have programs to address the immediate needs of the people. We understand I can't reach the people. They can't hear me if their ears are frostbitten. They can't hear me if they're freezing. They can't hear me over the growling and rumbling of their stomach. So the so the, the projects address those things to develop in the program because not only do we want to give out coats as a co-project, then eventually we encourage the masses of people to get involved with their own self-sufficiency, find out how to pick up the coats, get the coats for yourself, start to distribute the coats for yourself throughout your community, get the community involved, and real nation-building even takes it to the next level. We want to make the damn coats. But we start, we understand the journey of a thousand miles starts with one footstep. So I'm not knocking the project, the community projects, but I'm not disillusioned by thinking that this is the be-all and do-all of any progressive revolutionary movement because it isn't. It's only the tip of the iceberg. And until we understand that, that this is only the tip of the iceberg, we'll be running in circles, 
chasing our own tails. We have to step our game up. We have to step our game up. This is your brother, Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party, independent, Black Talk Radio. You can press 1 if you like to chime in, if you have a question, a comment, if you like to share something. Feel free. Understand that this is your radio program, brothers and sisters. It's an opportunity to you address uh, to address the masses, to share with the people, to say what you have to say, whether it's agree or disagree. What do you think about community programs or community projects? How do you feel about that? How can we evolve these projects into progressive programs? address the very needs and issues of the masses of African people? How can we awaken these progressive? See, we have to start, we have to understand that, and I'm not saying that any of this is intentional, but we have to understand that we have to stop mislabeling what we do. And those of us that are in the know have to correct our brothers and sisters, and we have to be gentle, be gentle with our people. We've been brutalized enough. We've been abused enough, so our people are already on some defensive kick. We don't want to hear it. So we have to be gentle, but nonetheless, it has to be addressed. If our sincerity is for the advancement of the people, if we really want to see us out of this rut, then we have to address what's going down. We have to stop allowing people to mislabel, misinform, and misdirect the masses of people. If we are serious about our continuance, about our survival, that's on the base level. We want to talk about advancement. Like we, um, I, I, I try to think we're about empowering and developing an infrastructure, a societal infrastructure that aids in the empowerment and advancement of us as African people. That is our goal. That is our objective. But we have to address we're so we're so far behind. We are so far behind that we have to address survival. What other people do you see addressing survival? Oh yeah, you see the white boys and they got these survivalist camps, they're addressing survival because they know. These capitalists know capitalist system is doomed to fail. You can't deplete the earth of its resources. You can't constantly exploit the people like Field Marshal uh, uh, George Jackson said. Oppression breeds resistance. You can't continuously and constantly exploit the people and not expect a resistance movement to be birthed from those labor pains. It's only natural. Any social scientist will tell you, they don't even take a social scientist to tell you that. With every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. With exploitation, with the action of exploitation comes the reaction of resistance. It's only natural. So they understand. So they are in their survival mode. They understand why they, why they have a survival program. But I'm asking, why do you have a survival program and not survival projects? Our survival should only be a temporary thing. It should be a survival 
of a revolutionary transformation period. We should only be looking to survive for a little while until we get to the advancing stage, the rebuilding stage, the stage of empowerment. These are what our programs should be focused on. We forget that it's called human race. For a minute, you're in a race. It's the human race. But some of you have opted out to sit on the sidelines and be cheerleaders for other humans to run. You're cheering for other humans. You've forgotten to participate in it. They beat you so down. They programmed you so good. Their programming is so good that when you say black nationalism, when you say black empowerment, when you say self-determination and self-sufficiency, when you say do for yourself, when you repeat the words of the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, up you mighty race, you can accomplish what you will. They have beat you down. They have programmed you so bad that you're fearful. Fearful brothers and sisters like myself. You're fearful to get on radio programs like this and listen. You're fearful to say that you're black and you're proud. You're fearful of doing for yourself and spending with yourself and building up your communities. You don't want to seem racist. You don't want to seem as if uh, you don't like other people. That's how well you've been programmed. You're fearful. They program you that good. Do you think that they worry about being over white? They have the attitude of white privilege. They look at you like you have the audacity to come in there and be ethnic. Ethnic. You have the audacity to come in there and to display your culture, who you are. How dare you? This is the programming, and a lot of you succumb to it. Because you haven't, we haven't, I'm not going to say you, I'm going to say we. We haven't created or had enough programs to counter that. And the programs that we do have, the programs that we do have to counter that, we've been so programmed with Willie Lynch that we don't support those programs. We can't get past the petty issues, the mundane things. We can't grow on that front. We don't like someone, so we won't support that. How foolish. How foolish. You see? So our program, so this is the difference. Our programs have to be those. Our projects have to step up and evolve. Why do I keep saying this? They say that redundancy helps one to commit it to memory. I want us to feel what I'm saying. I don't want to be one of these, these programs. I don't want to take your time nor my time on one of these programs that just get out here and just expose empty rhetoric. I want you to be moved by the words. I want you to contemplate what I'm saying. I'm sure that there are a lot of Things going on, a lot of people saying things that sound nice, wonderful, and saying them in the most articulate manner. 
but I want you to concentrate on the words that I'm saying, and I want you to be so moved that you begin to start to your actions, begin to mimic your thoughts. If this inspires a revolutionary thought, that if this helps us to start to see our projects in a certain light, and it begins to inspire us to take these projects and to grow and to nurture them and to develop strong programs for the self-determination. I want those thoughts to be so effective and to be so gripping and so deep that our actions begin to mimic that, that we begin to sort to see how programs, how necessary they are because we begin to peep the matrix. We begin to peep the programming that goes on around us every day that that this Eurocentric programming that we begin to think, act, eat, behave, judge, speak like our oppressors. Think we don't? He said, no, brother, that don't happen to me. When's the last time you looked at somebody and said, I hate that nigga? Where do you think you get that from? The programming is so serious that you think that that's innate. You think that's a part of your very nature. I despise that nigga. The hell with that bitch. You think that misogyny, hating our women, is a part of your nature. This European, this white man, has always hated his woman. He's hated his woman so much, he's written her out of scripture, out of spirituality. The African man and woman have always believed in the divine masculine, the divine feminine. He has written, he's got a father, son, and a holy ghost, not even a holy wife. He's always written her out of scripture. He has hated his woman, and he's programmed us to start to hate our women. His women has always hated him. This is why they had the suffrage movement. She's always been oppressed. The black man had the right to vote before his woman did, so she despised her man for oppressing her. And she developed the feminist movement. And in this feminist movement, the program was so deep that the black woman, when she succumbed to this white feminist programming, she began to hate her black man. The programming of the system of Section 8 and Things the welfare system that says you can't be with a black man, the destruction of the black family, the programming was so great that our women began to say, I don't need a man. Listen to what I'm telling you. Not I don't want one. There's a difference between wants and needs. I can respect a sister a lot more saying she don't want a man than a sister that says she don't need a damn man. She has no need for you, meaning that she could care less if you walk the planet Earth. She doesn't see you. You don't exist, black man, to the black woman that says she don't need no damn man. And so they program him, and believe me, they got things that, shit, will substitute you to aid and implement, to enforce their programming for the destruction of the black man. The black family, they create a program, and we, by us not having a counter-program, get sucked right up into it. And since we don't have these programs to counter, we don't even take a moment, a hesitation, a pause for the cause 
to say this can't be normal. This behavior that I'm exhibiting, this behavior that I'm witnessing amongst African people in America can't be normal because once you realize that is not normal, you naturally begin to create a program within your home to teach your children to do contrary to that thing that they're doing, to the thing that society says is normal. You naturally begin to teach your children contrary to that. That's the difference. That's a working program. But without that program, you suck it all up. You suck it all in. You begin to judge. You hold your standards to Eurocentric standards. You begin to use their judgment as your level of discernment. Programming. You think they don't program you? They program you. The need for, why do we need liberation schools? And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. The need for liberation schools on on Saturdays, maybe from 9 in the morning to 2 or 3 in the afternoon, a program. There again, we go back, what is a program? A program addresses the issues on multifaceted, on many fronts, where a project will address that specific initial need. A feeding project feeds the hungry. That's what it does. It's a project. We feed the hungry. But a program starts to address issues on many levels and facets. So what does a liberation school project look like? And this is the bare basic, something that's coming off the top of my head. A school on Saturdays from 9 to 3. What is the multiple facet? What are the multi-purposes that it serves for our people? One, if you're feeding lunches, most of our people in the community, the people that we address, the lumping we call them, the impoverished, the lower class, the whatever the society calls us, that children get the free lunches, that on weekdays they may only eat once a day, if that, when they're not in school. So it serves as making sure the babies get these nutrients. That's one. Secondly, what does it do? It acts as a deprogramming. Your children are with these people five days a week, eight hours a day. You don't think they're being programmed? You don't think that they're being programmed? They are being programmed. So this acts as a deterrent for that. And this is a necessity. Let's go to our phone line. You know what I like to do as soon as I recognize someone on. Let's open up immediately. Two one four eight zero six eight. Your mic is open. Hey, brother Yanga, it's Sister Kalika Baruti Shakur. Can you hear me clearly? I can hear you clearly, Sister Shakur. Okay, I'm on the train, just getting off of work, so you're like here to train and things like that. So I just hope that it doesn't cause any disruption. Um, but I just really wanted to speak on some things uh, that you spoke on because every day of my existence, you know, it weighs heavy on me as an organizer and working in conjunction with 
other organizations with individuals, political parties, and formations. And you talked about uh, the difference between projects and programs and uh, giving examples of, you know, feeding the hungry or passing out gloves, scarves, and hats and addressing the immediate needs. You know, I listened to uh, the broadcast last week, and one thing that you had mentioned, you said, I am an encomist to raise. Well, I myself, I'm an encomist to raise. And being an encomist to raise, I went and undergone some hardcore ideological training. And I see in a lot of instances and in a lot of organizations, there's no hardcore, steadfast, consistent ideological training. And That's so right. you have yeah. people, you have people who express passion, they express desire to meet the needs of their people. But because of the lack of ideology, they don't truly know what's required. And so when you go into instances and say, you know, okay, we're going to feed the hungry, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, they have pretty good intentions. The intentions are good for, for the most part. The intentions are wholeheartedly there with the intent to serve the people. However, when you steady miss the point of identifying capitalism, when you steady miss the point of clearly identifying imperialism and all of those type of forces, then you can't use, that's when you're going to be chasing your tail over and over and over again because you don't truly understand that dynamic. And then on the other hand, you have those who seek instant self-gratification. Now, this, has, this is what has been truly breaking my heart. Because of the instant self-gratification, it, it serves its purpose for that individual to say, you know, this is how I'm going to earn my stripes. But people are, are, are assuming that they can iron stripes in this type of way, and that's not how stripes are ironed. Earned. You know, that's not how you do it. You can't just, you know, iron on a patch, put it on your sleeve, and then say, hey, come take a picture of me, you know, doing this and doing that. See, what we must come to understand is that our struggle for liberation is uh, one of class. It's a class struggle. We have to address the needs of the working class man and woman. It's a struggle of the liberation of women. It's a struggle of organizing the students. It's a struggle of taking and protecting our elders and our children. And it's a struggle of land. And land, the most important, where all of our resources come from, is the basis, the primary basis of liberation. So it's without a doubt that you have to answer that question. And a lot of people, unfortunately, because of the instant self-gratification, or the lack of ideology, they fail to answer that question, or they either are too lazy to do it. And a lot of the work that is required of them, and see, and see the frustration and the hurt comes when I, I see people 
who know better, but because they are too lazy to do it, there's there's certain work that has to be done. Like for instance, um, Mugabe and the African Union. There's a lot of criticism of the African Union, but there has been progress. Now, people traveling to Africa. Anytime you travel to Africa, and I know it's because I work with the African Union, anytime you travel to Africa, every ticket that is purchased in Africa, going there, there's a $2 fee that goes to the African Union. This money is actually there for our youth. They're trying to organize for us in the sixth region to become a part of the entity that say how Africa should be developed. They're looking for people to create programs to come and build infrastructure. Why is Africa weak? Because Africa was underdeveloped because people were taking her resources. And then when it was time for them to go, they said, we're taking everything that we put here out. So we're taking all the machinery, we're taking this, we're taking that. And so a lot of the um, things that Africa have, as far as like for anything like from two pigs, to just basic necessities. They have the resources there, but they have to import them inside of Africa because they don't have the machinery and so forth. But the African Union is calling on people from the diaspora to say, hey, you know, help us develop programs. I sit at the table. I sit at the table. And every day I put forth effort to try to organize people to actually focus, focus on what we need to do. But because they're looking for their instant gratification, the major project in to build the institutions that you talked about, they failed to get done because of the consistency that it takes to do it and the focus and commitment is not there because it doesn't give you a, a, a instant pat on the back. Like, for instance, we have people who uh, went into exile that were Black Panthers, like Mama Charlotte and Pete O'Neill. They're doing great work. They even want to help other people acquire land. And, and not just to say that Africa is the only place to do that, but we have alliances. we got to look at our history and look at the alliances we build. People don't know how to move underground no more. People don't know how to be invisible and move in step mode because they're looking for instant gratification. And these, this is the thing that I have noticed that has been very crippling. And I, and I say this because I know that there are people amongst us who call themselves organizers, who call themselves workers, and service other people who do otherwise. And it has been very, very frustrating. So I make a plea and I make a call to those who are wanting to be involved in some true uh, work, stuff that people may never know that you do, that type of work. I call on people to do this. And there's, mm-hmm. there's so much to do. You know, we have to yeah. do research. You know, like, just find right. out, like, every, like, understanding capitalism, identify different companies and corporations, you know what I'm saying, who constantly, uh, steadily have their hand in certain stuff. There are, there are liberation fronts on the ground that's buying for political power, but they got to compete yeah. with neocolonialism. And they calling on them. They see the despair yeah. that we go you know, and even just developing and getting our land here with the Republic of New Africa. Don't you know the Don't you know the uh, New African Ujamaa? They have a solid plan of action to develop in and acquire land, but nobody takes the time to focus. The lack of focus is missing because if you can't get a snapshot, 
You can't post it on Instagram that's right, right there. That's and that's right. the problem. And it hurts Jenga. It hurts so bad. But let me just say this, because you mentioned George Jackson. We do have an institution where we, uh, you know, make sure that we build with our brothers behind the wall because they are key. They're a very big part of our population. So we mm-hmm. make sure that we uh, develop institutions for them. I want to be able to link them up with scientists and engineers amongst us, create jobs and resources. Like that Sister Kim was saying on the radio broadcast last week, Sister Kim said how she's linking up with uh, businesses. We're doing that too, yeah. you know, and we need to work in conjunction. Get to, get with these businesses, empower the businesses, and, you know, have them to where we can put money in their pocket for uh, hiring our men and women. So when they come out of the prison into reentry, they don't have to be subjected to humiliation and things of that nature, and they can work towards their liberation for African people. You know what I'm saying? That's right. that lot, but I just wanted to get that off of my chest because it hurts me when I see that. I, I, I can see the tendency in people because of their lack of ideology and because of the self-gratification. It hurts real bad, yeah. But in but but in spite of that, you know, for me to understand what I understand, I continue to do what's required of me. And I don't complain about it, you know what I'm saying? But right on. it's just what it is right what it is, you know. Right on, and that's for the rebel, and that's for the revolution. I appreciate that, Sister Broody, all the time, anytime. And and for those man, check that out, man. Check out that George Jackson University, um, um, doing wonderful things. And that's a large segment, like you said, a large segment of our population. Some of the most revolutionary minds are behind enemy lines right now. We've taken that thing and turned it into a think tank. You'd be surprised at the brilliance and the ingenuity and the ingeniousness of our of our comrades, our brothers and sisters behind enemy lines. But it goes back to, like, what the sister was saying, which we at the People's Black Panther Party are very big on, and that's ideology. Like she said, this, this whole thing of this self-gratification, and I call it self-gratification plus the sensationalism, this Facebook, this happened to be known. I've never seen, we have entered into an age of entertainment of, of due proportion. I've never seen so many people that want to be famous or infamous based on nothing, based on quotes, and not even, and here's what gets me, not even original quotes, quotes of our, quotes of our great revolutionary leaders. They want to be famous based on Facebook quotes and, uh, and interviews. I've never, seen, I've never seen the likes of it, you see. But without this proper, and this is what I talk about when we talk about building, when we talk about advancing, when we're talking about empowering. This is, we don't, when we don't have a strong ideology, and when ideology and revolutionary politics are not pushed in these parties, then the order of the day will be immediate gratification and sensationalism. And what does she mean by immediate gratification? What we were talking about earlier. You have your little food project, and you feel good. You feed a few people, you take a few pictures, you go back, you look at the pictures yourself on Facebook. You like your own damn pictures, and you feel good. It's immediate. But the long term, the process of thinking, like she said, we're, 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 um, we're in Krumah's Toure, we're scientific socialists. And one of the things that Dr. Kwame Krumah said, he said that in this scientific socialism, that every factor that has affected the African must be taken in consideration. When you talk about a historical and a material dialectic, you talk about that everything that affects us from our resources, from our ability to get materials, from our economic position, to our history. 
to the uh, interference of uh, Europeans, colonialism in Africa that what they're facing now, that neo-colonialism, basically what we face in Atlanta, what I'll just break it down, black faces in white places. You got the same system, the same structure, the same everything. The only difference between then and now is your black ass is running it. Neo-colonialism, black faces in white places. You understand what I'm saying? Or black faces in capital places. Whatever you want to use in there when you're using the same system of oppression. But because you're black, you think all of a sudden it just it just magically became magically delicious, like Lucky Charms. It just all of a sudden flipped. It's, now it's wonderful. But it's the same oppressive, exploitive system. So all of these things have to be taken in consideration if we're going to have real progressive movements. If we're really talking about empowering and changing, and these projects have to evolve into programs. We have to stop competing. We get into wars and we go to competing about we go to competing about projects. We actually have the audacity, the arrogance to compete about projects, not programs. Because when we start to run proper programs, we will start to understand the importance of creating alliances. Like one of the things I would tell Sister Broody, which we're going to get with, I'm going to get with, and have a talk to people, that we at the People's Black Panther Party want to begin to work closely with the George Jackson University. To start, I, and, and yo, the book list, to read the book list on this reading is one of my favorites, Black uh, Blue Rage and, uh, Black, I forget the name of the title, but by uh, Stanley Tukey Williams, the big homie, one of the co-founders of the Crips, is the book on the book list for them. To start to donate the books to strengthen these black minds, we will start. See, these are programs. This is how you begin to run a program. These are people that have a vision, that begin to start to understand the importance of a strong ideology, having a strong vision that would understand the what a protracted struggle is, not just saying protracted struggle, but really understand what it means for a protracted struggle, what it means to be generational with this thing. When we study revolutions that have preceded our revolution and revolutionaries that have preceded us, that have come before us, we understand that every revolution that was successful in its day was protracted. That the children, that revolution, it wasn't, I, listen, we still take this thing like it's a hobby. That we have the luxury to do it part-time. That it's a hobby, Kwanzaa whatever we do, and we don't start to instill the seeds of resistance, the love of freedom and independence, the hatred of exploitation and oppression in our children. It's something we do, and we safeguard our children from it. We say, no, this is not for them. We'll go do this. And we think that that's, but when you study the Vietnam conflict, the Vietnam struggle, the children picked up the, how do you think they ran the French and America and Britain all up out of there? When you study the Palestinian struggle that's still continuing today, their children go out and throw rocks at tanks. Their children stand up to machine guns because that love of the Palestinian state, that love of freedom has been instilled in them. But what do we still in our children? We instill more submissiveness, 
more participation in an exploitive system. We don't encourage our children to resist these things that are destroying us. How we have looked at it historically, history bears witness that this capitalist nation, that this capitalism was founded on the exploitation of minority people, not just the rape, robbery, kidnap, murder of Africans, but the genocide, complete genocide of a whole ethnicity, the Native American, completely, almost completely wiped out. And we participate. Like Sister Baruti said, we don't have accountable spending. You will find no people, and you always hear me say this, our counterpart, our Jewish counterpart, he wouldn't spend one cent with any business that he thought supported Nazi Germany during World War II. You wouldn't find it. It would be unheard of. They would probably run that Jew out of the Jewish community. They would shut that business down. Yet we spend trillions of dollars out of our community unaccountably to these businesses, to the Koch brothers, you know what I'm saying, who support these anti-African, uh, here in America, anti-black legislation. The school, the prison pipeline, what are the ties for some of these companies that exploit the condition in our native country, Africa, in our native continent, on the native continent of Africa? Yet we still buy and buy and buy and spend and spend and spend. And they're sending mercenary troops into Congo, one of the most richest places in Africa, to run and to murder and to run people out of their village so they can get rubber trees or iron or ore or, or, or whatever from the land, blatantly murdering, maiming, raping villages, mutilating men, women, and children for capitalist exploitation, for capitalist exploitation, and we are a very big part of that. But we, we're, we're, we're content with these little projects, and we don't have programs with a proper, like the sister said, a proper ideology that a revolutionary ideology that ties us to revolutionary thinking, where we understand as revolutionaries that it's not, yes, we're revolutionary black nationalists because we must address the issues that affect us, but the revolutionary part of that means we're internationalists. We understand what's happening to us, and not just us, any people internationally. We are anti-oppression. I don't give a damn. What color? Why am I a black nationalist? Because I believe that we as African people in America must first get our thing, not first get our thing together, but we have to work together before I can get into all this multiculturalism and all that other shit. Because we get so humane and so humanitarian, we forget that we're part of the damn human race. We get in all these other groups and we put every issue before us. We'll march with the Palestinians. We'll march with, you know, you got some people march with the LGBTQ. You got everybody putting everybody issues. And when it comes up, they be like, man, I ain't on that black stuff, brother. I'm, I've elevated from that, you know, brother. But you'll march with everybody else's issues, and you won't say a, have a damn thing to say about that. So, yes, I'm a black nationalist. But do I encourage and promote oppression of any? I'm a revolutionary. I'm an internationalist, man. Oppression is wrong for any people. I don't want to use the same weapon against anyone that's been used against me. If it doesn't feel good to me, if it's bred this resistance in me, if it's bred this fire, this passion, this need to be free from the shackles, from the depravity and the savagery that's being perpetrated against us, if it's bred this in me, then I know if I practice that against anyone, it will only breed it into them. 
This is the importance of a strong ideology. Let's go to our phone lines. I'm sorry if I have you for, for waiting. Let's go to 973-6681. Your mic is open. Brother Yang, how you was? I am. Peace. Peace, I am. What's good, brother? Hey, man. Hey, man. I'm just ch- checking you out, man. You're doing some good teaching tonight. I, I, I appreciate it. I got some cats listening. That's something that people need to hear. You know what I mean? Man, I appreciate you for calling in, man. You know what I'm saying? Definitely, man. Strong veteran on the money. And, and your endorsement and support, bro, means the world. You know, and I know Brother, you don't the, 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 point, the point you're hitting tonight is absolutely necessary. I hope people listening and learning and don't take it personal, but explore it, check it out themselves because you're on point, brother. That, that's all I wanted to say. You're going in tonight, black man. All right, black man. I sure appreciate it, brother. Anytime I'm putting yes, you back sir. on mute, but if you want to jump back in, just hit the hit the line. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, and and that's my dear brother. I am, and I appreciate that man calling support. You know, strong soldier. Um, but that and that's the whole thing. That's the importance ideology, like the sister was talking about. And the only way to get this proper ideology is through the programming. It's for us to have a program. She talked about that immediate gratification. There again, that's what these feeding projects, that's what not just feeding projects, but any project, any project will do. It's a social band-aid. It feels good. And like I said, they're necessary first steps. But if we become content with that, if we allow the mislabeling of a project from a program, then we can't accurately assess our movement. If we don't know the difference between, I listen, let me tell you something. I didn't know how important that was until talking to my national chief of staff, and he went to, and, and we were just chopping it up at a central committee call, and he broke it down. And it, and it was like a light bulb came on in, in my head. This is absolutely one of our biggest holdbacks, that we have mislabeled these projects as programs, therefore, Consciously or subconsciously, we have become content with the level of commitment. We have become content with the level of commitment because a program takes much more. A program takes more consistency. It takes consistency. It takes more sacrifice. It takes more commitment. It takes more time. It takes more resources. And like Sister Baruti was saying, that we aren't really, a lot of us, due to this immediate gratification, this need, she said it, so I call it, I call it, the people who know me and work with me, I call it the microwave age, this microwave phenomenon. See, when I was coming up, and I'm going to date myself because I'm a little older than some of the comrades coming into uh, the movement now, what we call new boots, affectionately new boots. We calling y'all that affectionately, but what we call the new boots. I'm a little older. I remember a time that you used to have to wait for a meal. You used to have to, you would ask, uh, you would have to uh, ask your mother, you, you, you say, I'm hungry. And she'd tell you to wait. The dinner's almost ready. So you would have to, you would have to wait. Well, then you'd have to wait patiently. Now they, then they came out with microwaves. See, I remember when microwaves came out. I remember when they were the size of them, they the size of floor model televisions. It had a big knob on it like a television. 
Big Bean. And so when microwave came out, you had the instant meals done in three minutes. It created, to me, that's why I call it microwave generation. Everybody wants everything immediately. They want to see the end results immediately. It has hindered the vision. It has hindered the ability to commit to long term. To go to distance. That's what it that's that that's 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 what this has done. And so when you don't have that vision, when you're looking for that immediate gratification, when you're looking for the feel good now, you can't you can't properly your mind can't process doing something bigger. And when you can't process doing something bigger, it's hard to really see everything that's going on around you because a program is being implemented on you. While you're implementing projects, they're implementing a program. A program is constantly being implemented on you because a program is consistent. Your television, society, you don't think your program, you know exactly what to do when the police pull you over. You think you know what to do. You don't know how many times during the course of the day your rights are probably being violated. Programmed to react a certain way. And they're programmed to do a certain thing. And so either from that programming, based on that programming, another little tidbit my National Chief of Staff pointed out, our programming, the way we've been programmed to react to the police and the way they've been programmed to react to us, in a lot of instances, that, that the situation escalates. Because we all have been programmed and we're acting according to. So until we understand and properly, properly label what we're doing, and when we properly label what we're doing, then we know if we have to intensify those efforts, if they have to be developed in the program, and we know exactly what areas to touch on, what issues particular programs should address. This is what we have to get. It is now more than ever, brothers and sisters, the time for empty rhetoric, the time for sensationalism, the time for the need for this immediate gratification, this instant feel good is done. It's done. If we are not talking about, like we at the People's Black Panther Party say, that we saw a deficiency. We saw where our, our, we weren't building, like our, our objective is self-determination, black nationalism, and to develop an infrastructure that is empowering, that aids to the empowerment and advancement of us as African people here, to build this infrastructure. And in order to build this infrastructure, it is going to take programs. We have to have programs that understand what this looks like. This is why that we're hard on developing these mechanisms because through these mechanisms, we implement the program. We have a culture, National Minister Culture. He has St. Corey African Society, a cultural program. We understand that in order for a revolution to be successful, you must have a healthy, positive self-image. You must know your history and know that your history didn't start from slavery and the contributions to civilization that you did. This is what inspires and motivates you. It helps you your back to get the hump out of it and straight and strong. It's important. So we develop 
that cultural program. We want to develop a political program. In developing this political program, this revolutionary politics, we start to address, like Sister Baruti said, the issues of moving forward, addressing the ills that plague us as a community. You see? Sorry, I'm trying to multitask. To start to address the ills that plague us as a community, we start to have the proper ideology, a healthy ideology that is particular to us, that we stop trying to, these are what these programs encourage, because their programs are programs of inclusivity, and how are you inclusive, how do you help, it's like it's impossible, it's an oxymoron, it's like fresh frozen, they have programs to program you to be inclusive in their system, but how do you be inclusive in a system that is criminal and has been criminal towards you? That's like helping somebody to rob you. It's like somebody pull a gun out on you and say, give me everything you got. You say, hold on, I'll hold the gun on myself and go in my pocket for you. Because you've been programmed to act contrary to yourself. And they're satisfied with giving you your little projects. If that's the extent of your revolutionary movement, they're satisfied with that. They don't care. They don't care about you feeding some homeless people. You help them because they close the shelters anyway. Think they really care about that? They're glad that's the extent of what you're doing. Like I said before, to reiterate what I said before, when Jagger Hoover said that grits, was a dangerous thing to national security, to the internal security of the United States. You think some 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 grits? You really think some Quaker oats? Grits? Had them shook? If they did, they wouldn't sell them at the store. Some of you literally think grits. You do. I don't know one on this program, so I'm not even worried about that. But there are people out there who think grits. Thanks because we fed some people. Sit down and enjoy, enjoy, and uh, enjoyed a bowl of grits that that had the people shook, that had the government shook. How many times? How many times? How many times will I have to say that that wasn't it? They don't care about you eating black man, black woman. It was the ideology. It was what came along with the grits. It was self determination. It was the espousing, the teaching of self-sufficiency. And like I said before, a program, the difference between a project and a program, one of the differences, a project addresses immediate issues. It addresses, that project addresses the immediate issue. The feeding, the hungry addresses the hunger. But a program addresses issues on many facets. So when they was espousing self-determination, they were showing it in action because there again, the foodstuffs was donated by the community. I'm going to keep saying it. I will keep being redundant until it starts to sink in. So now you have them talking self-determination and actually showing it, observation and participation. You're observing it and you're participating in it. 
And this is what frightened them. This is what caused them to start to have the program to try to erode the power base of the Black Panther Party and the black community. So they begin to feed the grits. They begin to hand out toys for Christmas, toys for tots. They begin to do all the things that the party was, was doing. And why was that? Because when they handed it out, they understood Huey showed them, and not just Huey, the Panther Party showed them a very important thing about those programs. It showed them how about the propaganda, about the ideology, about teaching. So they began to teach. When they started implementing the programs, they began to implement their ideology. And we look now 30, 40, 50, 60 years since those times of the Panthers. And look how indoctrinated in this system we are for materialism and capitalism. Yeah, people out there, I'm, I'm trying to indoctrinate. I don't know what you're talking about, Chairman Yanga. Yes, you are. Sit down. I was talking to a comrade earlier, and we were talking about that, how they've indoctrinated us into materialism, their program of materialism. They got you wearing what you call name brand. Name brand. And we understand from history what a brand means. A brand denoted, it, 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 it meant ownership. It meant that you were a property of someone else when they branded you. You belong to someone else. And now many of you brothers and sisters don't feel self-worth, don't feel like you've achieved, don't feel successful unless you're wearing name brand. You're not, you're not, you don't feel like you don't feel like verbiage alert. If you got children in the room, cover their ears. You don't feel like shit unless you got Gucci, Versace, somewhere labeled on you. So I'm a real brother. I get out in some Jordans or I get out in some Bobos. It don't make no difference. I don't even wear it. If the label is showing, if it has someone's name, I don't even put it on me. I can't stand it. If it has a label on it, I don't even put it on me. If it's name brand, you wouldn't know it. It, it can't have, I don't do free advertising. This is how not only do they have you in the name brand, you're so capitalist, you become a walking commercial. This is programming. These people haven't done anything for your community. This is what I'm talking about, unaccountability. This is what I'm talking about, programming. Haven't done anything in your community, and you walk around with a shirt with a big check on it that says, just do it. You walk around with other people's emblems and brands and logos and insignias all over your bodies and your hats and your sneakers and your belts, and they haven't done anything for the community, let alone your black show. But you've been programmed to that being synonymous with your success, with your stature, with your position and place in life. You've been programmed with, like our dear sister Baruti said, classism. You got the nerve to divorce yourself from the African people because you've been so programmed on uh, economics that you believe because you're in a different economic class 
that somehow you're better than. This was a standard they used for them, not for you. You still a nigga. I forgot the brother's name, Brother Gates, who was harassed for trying to get into his own house after being locked out. A professor, renowned, world-known world travel, the very traveled man, was harassed. I was watching on Facebook. I forget what NFL player it was, stopped by police for walking by the hotel. Suspicious activities. A nigga. So the class thing, it does arise when we get caught up into it. But if we allow them to program us, the white left to program us, these Marxist Leninists to program us and tell us it's not a race thing, it's a class thing. And we simply believe that just on that merit alone, then we're being programmed again. Yes, it is about classism, but where did classism evolve from? Where did classism arise out of? It arise out of racism. Capitalism was founded and built and carried, carried on the back and exploitation of African people and the murder and genocide of Native Americans and every other minority that came over. But since they're programming on us, since they had a design on us to keep us at a certain level, and since they destroyed us culturally and morally and destroyed our, our norms and our moral ways, and we went hundreds of years without a program and was forced, or a program, I'm not going to say without a program, because our program became the program of survival. This is why I'm so big on rebuilding and not just one of these survivalists. Hell, we've been surviving too long. It's time to begin to thrive. You find no other people that have a save the let's eliminate the Eurocentric, the Europeans. And then, like I said, the only reason that he has a program or they have a program of survival is because they understand the capitalist system must fall. So they have to have a program of survival. They understand the limits to what they've enacted. They understand that you can't deplete the earth of its resources to the extent that you're there robbing. See, capitalism doesn't just stop with exploitation of the people. They are destroying the earth. A revolutionary is an ecologist. He loves the ecosystem. He understands or she understands the balance, the symbiotic process, that we're all interconnected and that there has to be moderation in all things. But the capitalist is super greedy, not just for money but for life. For everything, so it's consume, 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 consume to the detriment of other people. The ozone, the rainforest, the people, anything they can oppress, exploit, they will gobble it. So they understand an end to this, prepare, they have survival because they know that that rule will eventually come to an end. But us, so we start to. Because we've been so programmed, anything they do, we do. So we start getting survival training, not preparation training, not training a, um, a program for revolutionary transparency because we don't see the victory. See, if you saw the victory, your programming would be not just survival. Hell, ain't you tired of surviving? Aren't you surviving now? What you're doing day to day? Aren't you worried about how you're going to make it next month and the month after that? You're, you've been surviving. African people are resilient people, resilient, very resilient. 
We've been divided. But when you know that victory is assured to you, then your programs are that of transformation. You start to prepare for the revolutionary transformation. You understand we're going to hit a rough patch. You know that that is very necessary in any revolution. But so you prepare for that rough patch, but at the same time, a program will address the future. Like Chief Warren, when he sent out us in the email, the thing it will start to address, the teaching will address building and developing that strong infrastructure for the growth and advancement. Because that's inevitable. That's assured to us. So, but we've been so programmed to follow this European. When he starts survival training, we begin the survival training. What other national, what other group you see doing that? You tell me. I don't look on there and see all these Asian people survival training. All these Arabs survival training. I see them having defense classes, other things than that. But I don't see all this survival training because they have programs to ensure the continuancy, the continuity of their ethnicity. They have programs that teach economics. They have programs that address their cultural values. They have programs that address um, everything, their, their, their society, their place in their society. How are they going to come over here? Like I said before, they even have, for those of us that have lived in multicultural cities, ride through some of these neighborhoods, Chinatown. Little Russia, Little Italy, ride through some of these neighborhoods, and you will see in these neighborhoods, in these communities, a center, a building that says Italian-American League, Chinese-American Relation League. They have these programs, these groups that have programs that help their people get acclimated to their new way of life in here. And even if they've been here for centuries, they have these programs and people that help them not to be oppressed and exploited by this system, but to find the loopholes in it and how to be prosperous, how to keep their community, how, which way to vote for certain aldermen and this and that. And you find these politicians going to cater to these people. Am I saying be a reformist? Hell no. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that you must leave the apathy. You must leave the apathy. I've never seen a group of people so hell-bent on allowing other people to create programs and determine their destiny. Never seen it. We will sit back and allow other people to determine our destiny, and we're reactionary. Then we want to wait till it's too damn late. We always want to address something on a base level. We never want to be you know, like the chief of staff said, okay, we, now I, what did my chief of staff say? Oh, it may have been my message. I can't even remember. But someone in the party was saying that now it is time to take the offensive. And when I say offensive, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying go out there and be, you know, doing nothing foolish. But it is time to start to take the, the, the proper steps and measures to advance our cause. It is time to start to really develop strategy, if it's nothing but at least thinking along the lines of advancing the people, getting in these think tanks. Man, I'm so sick of this rhetoric and sensationalism. I'm sick of protesting. I'm sick of 
marching down the street. I'm sick of hands up, don't shoot. I can't breathe. Black Lives Matter. Don't do this. Please. When are we going to start to take our destiny in our own hands? And, 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 and talk about, the, you, you want to talk about the foolishness. I've never seen so much foolishness. We'll do all of that. We'll be ready to take the most amazing step. We'll go to the end of the earth to do something, and then we'll take something as simple as checking. I ain't even saying you got to vote, but going down, sitting in a community meeting. We'll be ready to I'll read the Facebook post, man, some of the most sensationalist shit I've ever read. I'm ready to die for mine. I'm ready to shoot. I'm ready to do this. Nigga, I'll die. I'm revolutionary. Puffing your chest out, but won't sit in a community meeting. Won't sit your ass down somewhere in a community meeting. But talk about you ready to kill someone, die. We need people that are ready to live for the movement. Can I get somebody ready to live for the movement? Let's go to our phone line. Nandy, your mic is is open. Mother Chairman, how are you? First, I would like to say I'm enjoying the show. Well, thank you. I'm fine. I just wanted to touch bases on what you were saying about making change. A lot of the stuff we talk about, yeah, white supremacy is an issue, but we also have to go back and retract history because our youth has not gotten a clear picture of what's going on, and this is one reason why they won't stand up and they won't fight. There's so much judgment about what's going on in our communities amongst ourselves that there's no one that's addressing the real issue, and we keep leaving a big part of history out. If we're going to talk about racism, let's talk about racism. We're all racist in our own way because we do believe that our people are superior in certain things, and we also believe that we were the first to be here. However, but without prejudice. We can't fight prejudice with prejudice. We can't fight oppression with oppression. That's one of the things that the Panthers taught us. We have to make stand and also realize that we are not cultural nationalists, but we are revolutionaries. And if we live for the people, we will die for the people. With that being said, if we're going to lie to the people and continue to allow all of these organizations, because there are organizations, and if we're tired of Black Lives Matter and we're tired of all of these places like, you know, Martin Luther King and these Toms that have been running the world for years, then we must tell the truth. Quit leading our people to believe that we have just got our asses whipped, excuse my language, that we have been taken through these issues and all this king and queen stuff, that's monarchy. We have to make our people understand that we are the originators of Europe. We are the originators of the land, period. But however, the same way Tomism is working on us now, Tomism brought us into a situation which was called indigenous servitude. Slavery is slavery. We got to stop worrying about what the third party slaveholders had, which was the white man. The red man enslaved us first, and then there was a black man by the name of Anthony Johnson, and we can go on, so forth and so forth. But the point I'm trying to make, 
until we realize that white supremacy, yes, is a basic structure. But our people taught them these things, and some of the inhumane situations came from indigenous servitude. They wouldn't even let us go after the seven years, and they were the first blacks. Blacks were the first to have documentation and to give a life sentence to slavery. So until we tell our people about Thomism, we will continue to cultivate people into cultural nationalism and also religious cults that are leading us to believe that these are our leaders of today when they were only the toms that were being created yesterday in order for us to keep us in the movement of the enslaved um, the enslaved state mind that we are dealing with with this corporation. And I'm going to be very short and brief. Until we let them know that niggas are suffering from niggers, and I think Django was very specific about that and stopped hiding the fact that we just were some cowards and ran because we saw some shit that we never saw, and I'm not being mean, but we have to be real. And then teach our people to fight against those that are still our people. They just look a little different and stop believing that something called white supremacy is in existence when white people are not even human beings. So until we start teaching the truth, teaching what terminology is, and then, only then, when we see revolution, then we will continue to be a bunch of reformists and following these Uncle Tom Negroes that Malcolm X and everybody else has told us has been keeping us defenseless in the face of attack. We have lost a lot of leaders, and this is my last statement. From Brother Malcolm to multiple hits on Brother Bobby and Huey, and we can talk about H-Rap Brown being enslaved, and we can talk about Brother Fred Hampton, and even Bobby, little Bobby Hudson. But what we didn't talk about is all those Tom-ass niggas that was the ones that pulled the trigger or the ones that told on us and were the snitches. And we're dealing with some Tom-ass Negroes today that are hiding the fact that even now in 2017 we lost another great leader, Khaled Muhammad, to the murderous injustices of our own black people that are refusing to realize what revolution is over being reformant and informant. And I really appreciate you, and thank you for allowing me to speak. Power to all people. The 1% is also multicultural. So we need to understand that the 99% is multicultural, but we also outnumber them. Power to the people. Power to the people. And you're more than welcome. And that's what it's all about. And this is Independence Black Talk Radio. We're coming last 15 minutes. If you want to speak, press 1, and we can uh, speak. You know, and this is an opportunity for everybody to have their voice. And I agree with some of the things you're saying and some of the things, you know, as we do, we disagree. I, I disagree. I agree wholeheartedly and believe in wholeheartedly in neocolonialism, that you have black faces in white places, that you have some Negroes that through history, throughout history, and even in this day and time, have perpetrated some of the worst crimes against us. This is why I'm not a, this is why I'm not a black supremacist. Because I don't believe that the mere fact of being born black makes you just so super better. Because I know some nigga devils. But I do believe that white supremacy exists. I live in a society that is based off white supremacy and white privilege. I do believe that white supremacy exists because I go into these courtrooms. You can we can have black people sitting as judges, we can have black people that are the police. We can have black slave catchers. We can do all that. But it is the system that has been put in place. 
that enables, that encourages, that motivates these Negroes to perpetuate that. We were talking about programs and projects. That's a good example what the sister talked about, absolutely. A program of white supremacy, white entitlement, and white privilege. It is a program. It's a program, of course, we were probably the first slaveholders because we were the first everything. We are the mothers and fathers of civilization. There's nothing that's new under the sun. There's nothing going on now that we didn't originate and, 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 and first participate in. And that is even some of the atrocities. We were the first, since we were the first human beings, the first man, we had to be the first people to go to war, the first people to take captives, the first people to commit murder. We were the first in all of that. But being the first has its advantages. What is, being the, what is one of the advantages of being the first? Any of you that are big brothers and big sisters understand the advantage of being the first is you learn from your mistakes quicker than your siblings. You can go back and say, hey, I've been there done that. I'm telling you, this is what the outcome is going to be. I've been there and done that, made that mistake. This is what's going to happen. So we were the first, and a lot of our advancement became because while they were in the Stone Ages, while they were still fumbling around, while they were in the Dark Ages, we had conquered Spain. We were at the height of enlightenment, science. Math, astrology, agriculture. While they were still trying to figure it out, while they were still figuring out how to cook food, or when they were in the dark ages, when the majority of them couldn't read, we had been there and done that. But one of the things that they did, Master, since we had evolved as a people, since we had that program that evolved us as a people, we understood the futility of of, of wars the brutality of war to the extent where we're exterminating masses of people and what they became were master warmongers. Why? Because Europe didn't have a lot of resources. You see, Africa was full of resources. So we had, we didn't have that need to take, to murder and maim our nature. It didn't develop in our nature as deeply as they did because they fought for the resources. They fought one another for the resources, clan against clan, tooth and nail, for little plots of land to grow food. They were fighting. We talk about those survival programs. They were fighting for their survival. We lived in abundance with no need. How do you think they got to? We believed in sharing. We had enough. There was plenty underestimating the very nature of this savage that he was a warmonger. So he mastered war and in mastering war and mastering manipulation because he had to become a manipulator to survive. He got in and he manipulated and he created a system. Am I justifying what we didn't know? It's a part of history. Like the sister said, the truth has to be told. There's no getting around the particip- our participation. Some of the things that led to our capture, our enslavement, and a lot of times our murder. There's no getting around that. It's a part of history. It's a fact. But we can't, to the degree, we have to look at every element of it and what contributes to that sickening symptom of African people. What was the sickness? It was greed. It was a system. You see, if there's no 
If there's no demand, there's no supply. If there's no demand for slavery, if there's no demand for for human flesh, then there's no need for a supply. But when when you come to warring tribes, when you come to people that are trying to get an advantage of another tribe and you come with guns and you come with the promise of aiding and assisting them in going over other tribes and hell, that's my enemy. What do I care about? You see, we didn't have to form nationalism. We didn't have to say we were black nationalists back then because we were all black people. We started to form these things with our interaction with other people who took advantage of us. I became, we became black nationalists because we understood the need for it. When we was in Africa, there was no need for that. We were different tribes in different countries, and we were like other people. I didn't, we didn't, when Pan-Africanists and black nationalists, Africa's a continent. We weren't just all one people. We had different countries and different, we fought one another. But when we interacted with them, we understood its evolution. We understood, hey, listen, if we are to survive, we need a program of unification. We need to die as tribes over here. Now in this land of barbarity, in this foreign country of savagery, in this hell called North America, the Fulani must die, the Mandingas must die. This, and we have to, if we hold those cultural ties, that's cool, but we can't hold it to a degree that it divides us. Because now the circumstances are different. Our program must speak like we were talking about in Krumism. And we're talking about the need for, um, we're talking about the need, like he said, to when you talk about this form of socialism, that it must take in consideration the historical material dialectic, those things that affected the African and the African here in America. So we must take those things in consideration. We can't be romantic. We can't go back. We can't be living historical past. We must take those things from our history to build us up so that we can have a strong, prosperous future. And like the sister was saying, Uncle Tomism is a factor. Our participation in some of these atrocities is a factor. So how do we deal with that in this day and time? How does that look? What programs are we doing to ensure that this type of thinking, this type of greed, see, that comes from, to me, that's the program of multiculturalism. That's the program of all this excessive inclusion to the extent that we're so multicultural, we're so inclusive, that we forget to see our brother and sister because we're too quick trying to prove that we're not racist, that we're not uh, so pro-black or that we don't hate anybody. They're not rushing to your aid like that. They're not rushing to your aid like that. All of that is agenda. I don't hate Black Lives Matter more power to them, but I understand that they have an agenda. I understand that they're backed by a white Democrat. That's their funding comes from the Democrat, a lot of the Democratic Party. So I understand that they have an agenda. So they say Black Lives Matter, but they have all of these other participants in that that aid and sponsor them because it's a multiculturalist movement. And we get so caught up in this multiculturalism that we aid and assist everybody, but you don't see these same people. When's the last time you've seen we run to our Palestinian 
brothers and sisters calls, and I'm saying free Palestine. Israel is an illegal state. I believe that. I am anti-Zionist. That is my statement. But when is the last time I seen one of my Palestinian brothers and sisters running to my cause? I'm not a multiculturalist. You can have that multiculturalism. I will work with other cultures that are anti-oppression. I am anti-oppression, but I'm not going to be so caught up in your freedom and so caught up in your cause and so caught up in your program that I don't run my program and that I'm regulated to a project, that I'm regulated to a project. You can even see in our project that we're humane. Hell, I remember down here in Atlanta when Atlanta decayed fed the people. We had Europeans come up and get, we say, no, you're not black, you can't get, no, no, we didn't say that. What kind of revolutionary would that be? My goodness. May the most high God protect us from such thoughts and behaviors. No, we didn't say that. So you see our humanity. You see that we're humane. But did that make us multiculturalists? No, it just meant that we were anti-oppression, anti-exploitation, that we're pro-humanity, but not to the extent of denying the need and the specific issues that address us as a people, not to the extent of denying the need for programs that talk to us, the need for programs that will act as a countermeasure from the dehumanizing programs of this society against us. There is no doubt. If any of us are doubting this is the importance for ideological training, there is no doubt whatsoever that there are laws on the books specifically targeted to obstruct and hinder the natural development evolution of African people in America. And if they don't have laws, if they can't steer you with their laws, if they can't trap you with their legislation, then they will physically come out and try to stop you. Look at Black Wall Street. Look at Tulsa, Oklahoma. History bears witness to this. Yet time and time again, time and time again, we run to their aid. We do things to disavow our black nationalist uh, uh, understanding, our, our, our need for empowerment, the need to establish programs that will address those specific issues. And this is what we as the People's White Panther Party is on. The sister is absolutely correct in saying that you have groups out there are working contrary to our movement. And that's the unfortunate truth in a lot of groups because they've been infiltrated. They've been misled. And I applaud people that address those groups and address those leaderships. I applaud that. Right now, that's not my calling of where we're going as the People's Black Panther Party. Because within those groups, a lot of times are sincere, dedicated, well-meaning people. I was one of those people. I had been in a lot of groups that misled me, that I didn't feel like went in the right direction. So I would like to, my call and my appeal are to those sincere revolutionaries who are ready to make a change, who are ready to build this infrastructure of empowering, this infrastructure of advancing, 
to create programs that address not just our immediate needs, but our long-term aspirations, goals, and visions, who fuel that, who are ready to move beyond the cycle of hate, the empty rhetoric, the sensationalism, and are really ready to build, have found revolutionaryism in themselves, the revolutionary love, to start to develop and cultivate a program of self-sufficiency and self-determination. That's what it's all about with the people's like to have the party. We want to be able to stand on our own, too. And if I don't see it in my lifetime, to have these programs to be upset that they um, developed in such a manner that our children can pick up the ball and run with it. Man, we might have to revisit this topic. I'm coming down to my last minute. But this is, I just want to say, this is what the programs are about. So with that, brothers and sisters, I thank everyone that tuned in. And I leave you as I greeted you. All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power.